I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. So glad you could be with us again for this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. This week's show is actually airing on my son's 21st birthday, so I have to give a very happy birthday shout out to my baby who is now a full-blown adult and uh, wishing him a great day as he celebrates, I'm sure, in style out on the West Coast. Also, this show is airing in the middle of the Saul Schwartz Safe College Tennis All-In Tournament here in Atlanta, Georgia. And so while y'all are listening this week, I will be out watching some fabulous tennis and hopefully meeting some of y'all in person out at the matches. We have a great show this week for you. Tim Russell, who is the CEO of the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, the ITA, joins us for a very insightful conversation on the state of college tennis and how the ITA is working not only to save college tennis programs, but really to help grow the sport of college tennis and to help the college coaches maximize their outreach in order to provide the best experience for our kids as they enter that next phase of their junior and hopefully lifetime tennis journey. Tim is, he's a passionate man and he has been involved in the tennis world um, pretty much his entire life. He has kids who play and his son actually works for the USTA now and uh, Tim has has been one of those people that I've had the opportunity to chat with on numerous occasions both when he was in his role with the USTA uh, and also now that he's with the ITA he and I speak pretty regularly and are in pretty constant contact via email or text um, about the different issues surrounding college tennis and what we as parents can do to make sure that these programs are secure and thriving so that they're around for our kids and for our grandkids and generations to come. So without further ado, let me bring you Tim Russell. Enjoy the podcast, and if you're so inclined, Please rate and review us on iTunes after you listen, and, and be sure to share the Parenting Aces podcast with your tennis parent community. The more the merrier, and the better educated we are, the better job we can do to help our kids have a positive experience in this sport that we all love. Enjoy. Tim Russell, thank you so much for being on the Parenting Aces podcast. I always love chatting with you and I'm looking forward to digging into what the ITA is up to these days. My pleasure and uh, Lisa, always a great joy to be with you and we also appreciate what you do for uh, American college tennis but also junior tennis and just tennis in general. It's a great uh, delight to be with you. Thanks so much. Well, so the way this conversation kind of came to be is I was doing a little research on college tennis programs that were had been cut over the past year or so um, for an article that I was writing. And 
when I reached out to the ITA, uh, it was suggested to me that I needed to have you back on and to have you talk about some of the work the ITA is doing in terms of really trying to preserve these college tennis programs across the country. So I'm hoping maybe you can share what what the ITA is up to and what's on tap as we move forward. Happy to. A uh, wonderful topic. Uh, at the first uh, speech that I gave to our association uh, two years ago in Naples at our convention, I submitted that uh, the ITA needed to work to preserve, strengthen, grow, and then transform college tennis. So if we talked about the preserve element as opposed to uh, a person or an association that likes to just kind of identify problems and whine about them, I always like to be proactive in a positive way. So one of the first things that the ITA did was put together what we've called the ITA Program Health Index, which basically uh, if people think about college tennis and we have about 1,600 or 1,700 programs at 1,200 institutions, one of the things we thought would be really important is if every coach knew whether their program was healthy. So we put together a document where people were uh, associated with the programs were to ask themselves things like, uh, how is the academic achievement of your athletes? Do you have a team GPA of over 3.0? Or how many ITA scholar athletes do you have? Or how many conference academic uh, award recipients do you have? Or players on all conference teams, et cetera. So we started looking at the team. We then started looking at the team uh, community impact. I mean, one of the things I keep believing as a premise is that uh, college tennis programs need to make themselves indispensable, not only on their college campuses, but in their communities. So we had the uh, schools ask, do you have a community outreach volunteer activity? Do you intersect with your USTA section? Do you run tournaments on your campus? Do you have a campus kids day or a, a junior play day? And then we tried to ask, you know, what's the impact on your campus? Uh, what's the attendance at matches? Uh, do you have your program endowed? Are you within compliance, no violations? Uh, How is your facilities? Do you get your president out? These kind of things. And it was fascinating to pass these out. And one, we got, you know, hundreds of these back. And the coaches, first of all, said, wow, thanks for doing this. Uh, even the top programs, uh, we were able to have them identify some issues like, hey, geez, my president hasn't been out or the AD hasn't been out or, hey, we need to get a better scoreboard. But then more importantly, the programs that didn't do so well by their own self-report, and mind you, this was just that, a self-report, they then uh, were put with our membership uh, department with Mary Edmond, and what we've tried to do is to meld programs that have some challenges with some mentors, and this has been going great uh, as well. So on the upside, we've tried to just get people to do an analysis of their own program, and two, we've tried to start being proactive by way of, uh, of, of trying to make sure that we have mentors working with uh, uh, programs that might be in need. So it's been a really great uh, start to our endeavors. Let's talk a little bit more about the whole mentoring aspect. One of the things that I, I've talked about this a lot of times on this podcast, one of the things I really love about college tennis 
is the camaraderie between the coaches. And even though these coaches are competing against one another week in and week out throughout the year, off the court, and even, you know, as soon as a match is over, the coaches really seem to enjoy each other's company and, you know, they'll hang out together, they'll go out for a beer or whatever. And I just think that's so cool. And I think it's really neat that the ITA is finding a way to utilize that aspect of college tennis to improve everybody's program. Well, first of all, uh, you are a true tennis junkie. It's one of the things that uh, you and I share in common, and your perceptions are are accurate. I mean, one of the things that I love about not only our sport uh, but our association is we really are a a community. And uh, I think everybody recognizes that we need to get everybody in the same boat with the oars pulling in the same uh, direction. I mean, even on the court, you know, it's not even just after the match. I mean, I remember... Uh, being just last week down at uh, Lake Nona uh, with the USTA Home of American Tennis, we had a USTA-ITA combine, and Peter Smith was telling stories about, you know, before a match with Michael Center at Texas where the two of them were just hugging each other. I mean, these guys compete hard, but they are genuinely in community with each other, and I think everybody wants to elevate uh, their sport and we have a lot of really great coaches who've been at this for a long time who want to give back to to younger coaches, not only their own assistants, uh, but the way our mentoring program is working, for example. And it's not even just the Peter Smiths and the Michael Centers and the Dave Fishes, but we have some coaches uh, who, uh, Coach Clower, for example, at Wyoming has just done you know amazing things. Dean is a terrific person in the community and all of a sudden we have a program that might be where the coach feels a little at risk. Yeah, Peter Smith has certain things going at USC, but it's different if you're Dean Clower at the University of Wyoming. So what we've done is to try to put a guy like Dean uh, as a mentor and not only does the uh, mentor and the mentee have regular calls, but we're trying to create, you know, what are the best practices and a lot of those uh, are what ended up on the, the health index. So the coaches genuinely want to be of assistance uh, to their colleagues. For sure. And, you know, one of the the things that jumps out at me as well is you have coaches like Coach Clower, coaches like my son's coach from last year, Greg Patton, who are at programs that, you know, are not classified as, as you know, top um, top performing, they're not the ones winning the championships every year, um, but they are coaches who are truly dedicated to the sport and can act in a mentoring role and are jumping at the bit, chomping at the bit to act in a mentoring role to other coaches coming up, even though they're not at these power five schools, they're still, they have the experience and the knowledge to guide and help other coaches through challenging times, even though they're facing those same challenges in their programs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Greg Patton is is just like a, a superstar when it comes to this. He is Mr. Community Engagement. I mean, in addition to being a truly great tennis coach from both technique and tactics to being a mentor of of young student-athletes, 
he does the weather on the local TV station. I mean, this is a guy who is recognized that he needs to build a following uh, at Boise State, and they get great turnouts. I mean, even when he worked with his uh, university administration as to where to put the, the tennis courts, he wanted them where they could be seen. He wanted his facility, you know, to be part of the community in a very integral way. It's like uh, with dealing with uh, Ray Anderson, the, the AD at Arizona State. They're building a new facility, and his vision is not a, a, a facility that is just for the team to use at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. How can we make college tennis facilities integral parts of, of a community. So these are just examples, whether it's Greg Patton at, at Boise or, or Ray at ASU or Dean Clower at Wyoming, where we are making college tennis programs integral to their campus and community, and the best coaches are sharing their knowledge with their, with their peers and colleagues. And what do you see happening in terms of the impact this is having on preserving tennis programs at, at various levels? So, so first of all, uh, I, I think that we have, you know, stemmed the tide, so to speak, and you're, uh, you have many great causes in your work, and one of them has been, you know, I think to move from the phrase, you know, saving college tennis to growing college tennis, and, and that's where, again, you are, and I are in sync in many ways where I said preserve, strengthen, grow, and transform. Uh, sadly, over 30 years, we actually lost a lot of tennis programs. The good news is uh, we're not losing that many, and we've actually uh, been able to add some. I referenced Arizona State brought its men's tennis program back, Angelo State, uh, Pacific Northwest Junior Colleges, uh, Milwaukee Area Technical Colleges. I mean, the good news is people are actually adding uh, programs. So I would like to think that uh, you know, things like the ITA program health index are a positive influence. But I also know that uh, the work we've done with format, uh, the work that the ITA is doing with telling the stories, uh, if I can digress just a little, I think it'll uh, demonstrate what we're up to. I mean, the, the ITA has a number of current strategic initiatives, and the first one is actually to tell the stories of college tennis. And to that end, uh, we've been increased the size of our communication staff. Uh, we added a full-time social media staff member. We've now added a videographer. I think just getting the word out more about college tennis is great. And you look at some of the wonderful work the USTA has done with things like College Match Day and Spring Break uh, Tennis. You know, the, the big issues as we frame the overall topic of things like health index is how do we position college tennis within a landscape of intercollegiate athletics that includes, you know, football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and softball? And so what is it that the other smaller sports, some call them the Olympic sports, some call them the non-rev sports, but how do we make college tennis pop within that environment? And so uh, in addition to some of the initiatives I just mentioned, the ITA partnered with a company in Chicago called Teamworks, and this is a sports marketing company that works with the likes of the Big Ten Network and the uh, uh, Big Ten Conference, and we're working on strategies that we can actually have a wider impact 
with telling the stories. And these are not just to the tennis junkies, but we need to be telling the stories to the college presidents and to the conference commissioners and, and the, the people who are the decision makers. And this is why we're trying to integrate this health, health index idea with the, um, uh, the telling the stories to the decision makers at universities and beyond. When you're telling those stories, what is it that you say to a college president or an athletic director that sells them on the idea that a tennis program is a valuable thing to have at their school? Because as you said, it's a non-revenue sport. The school's not making any money off tennis, and we all know that bottom line drives so many decisions. Um, I would venture to say a majority of the decisions, especially in higher education these days. So what is it that you say to them that, that makes them go, yeah, you're right, we do need to make sure we keep these programs viable? Also, so great question, and that uh, welcome to my world. That is uh, <laughs> my, my life at, at the moment. And so, there's a couple right. of narr- couple of narratives we've been developing. One is not only have we started doing research on things like the health index. We started to track not just things like GPAs, but we've been finding that not only do college tennis teams, relatively speaking, have great GPAs, but actually we're having a higher percentage of college tennis players going on to get graduate degrees, uh, whether they're uh, master's degrees, PhDs, JDs, MDs, but we're also having a a really great success having uh, college tennis players go on to be CEOs and COOs and CFOs and and the like. So one of them is just talking about the leadership uh, of college tennis players. And, for example, one of the things that the ITA has at the highest level of our award structure is our ITA Achievement Award. And these are people who played college tennis who've gone on to great uh, accolades and and great achievement in in life. And these include uh, uh, people like John Thornton, people who, you know, run Goldman Sachs, four- and five-star generals. So one of the things we're talking about is just the leadership of, of tennis players. We've also been trying to intersect uh, in the health and wellness space where tennis is obviously a sport of a, of a lifetime. But we've also been trying to get uh, them to understand the community engagement piece. That's why in my first answer to you, talked about some of these community impact things like running tournaments and having local programs. But we're also now trying to even expand that to say what is it that college presidents need, and and that is, you know, uh, most of them are trying to teach leadership, and and I think almost every sport can argue that their sport helps build leaders, but tennis is kind of unique in that it's an individual sport and a team sport uh, as well. Uh, So we've been trying to tell the stories to presidents uh, about their athletes basically being great students. And one of the things that Tim Russell's been saying about college tennis is that it's ultimately about higher education. Yes, we like to win championships and conference championships, but ultimately tennis is about higher education. So we want them as college presidents to know that their student athletes are high achieving in the classroom. We want to know, uh, have them know that they're, they're great people 
tennis is a great builder of, of character. We've been fond of saying that tennis is probably the great 21st century life curriculum. Uh, and so one of the things presidents don't want is problems on their athletic teams. <laughs> so we've been telling that story about high-character individuals. We've been talking about community engagement. We've been talking about sports of a lifetime. We've been talking about actually the ITA's awards program where not only do we have an extensive program for coaches of the year, but we give out 7,000 academic awards every year. So these are great things that students are putting on their, on their resumes uh, and, the, and the like. So we're talking about this whole profile of not only the sport, but about these high-quality individuals. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. I love your awards program, and, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to recognize these student athletes for the student portion of their work. And because, as, as you and I both know, you know, the majority of these kids are not going to go on to make a living playing professional tennis. They're going to make their careers in another manner, may still be in the world of tennis, but just not – hitting the ball across the net every day. And uh, I think it's really important that they're recognized for that academic achievement. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I mean, I think the ITA does some things, a number of things that people aren't, are, are not aware of. One of them is the breadth and depth of our awards program. The other is actually the breadth and depth of our actual championship program. What most people don't recognize is the ITA is one of the only coaches association that runs an entire series of, you know, regional and national championships. And uh, as you know, and your audience knows that, you know, the greatest aspect of college tennis is the team sport, and that is the, the spring, but also the ITA runs a lot of events in the fall. So we've managed to you know, have the college tennis world remain relevant throughout the entire academic and, and sports and sports year. Sure. Well, going back to the economic impact of the sport uh, in college, one of the things I've been trying to do a little research into, and I've not had much success yet, but I'm I'm hoping maybe the ITA wants to get into this too, or maybe y'all already are, is looking at alumni giving by tennis players and, you know, how involved do former collegiate players stay in their alum, alumni institutions? Correct me, Mr. Academic Person, yeah, because I know I'm using the wrong the Latin alumni. tense there. But. The, the Alumni <laughs> Association. You might be an alumna in the female Latin, but I think the Alumni Association is correct. You, you're spot Okay, on. good, good, good. <laughs> I've forgotten a lot of my high school Latin, but um, so I, you know, I think it would be really cool if we could show college presidents and athletic directors, hey, you know, you need to preserve these programs because the kids that are playing are supporting your university into perpetuity. And this is not surprising. Hopefully your audience knows that your questions have not been uh, pre-scripted that this is a free-flowing conversation, but once again, I think <laughs> yeah. you've demonstrated that you're right on top of things. And, and the most recent uh, hire that I've made for uh, the ITA is a position called the ITA uh, Business and Development Coordinator, where we're actually getting into the whole area of giving, not only fundraising for the ITA, but to address just this 
issue, and I don't think there's been a lot of uh, research uh, about the topic, but there clearly needs to be. I can tell you, back to my issue of you know the achievement award, there are clearly lots of high achieving tennis players. We've actually done some preliminary research on the number of people working on Wall Street and hedge fund managers, and I reference CEOs and CFOs. So there's a lot of high achieving people who, whether they are or not, they certainly have the capability of giving to their universities. And, and I think you're uh, right on target with, you know, one of the next uh, avenues of, of inquiry, at least for the ITA. Yeah, I think that would be great information to have. And, you know, it, I, 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 you know we're going to get into the topic of international players because I, you know, I have to do that, have to ask that question. But I, I think it will be especially interesting as, you know, as college tennis continues to progress and what to do with the American juniors coming out of their junior playing years that as the professional tour is, you know, older and older, I mean, my gosh, we've got, you know, Roger Federer at 35 and Serena Williams at 36 and Venus Williams at, I think she's 37, maybe 38 now. Um, It's unbelievable that, you know, how old these people are, and I'm saying old in quotes because compared to me, they're babies, but, Youngsters. you know, they're staying out on tour. Yeah, they're staying out on tour a lot longer, which which makes the argument for going to college that much better because you've still got plenty of time after even four years of college to try your, your skills on the tour and have time to develop out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, what what do we what do we need to do here to to get this information and and to get it out there and you know hopefully um, convince all of these universities that hey you you need to have a college tennis program it it may not be bringing revenue in today but long term this is going to be a boom for y'all. So, so let's tie a couple of these points uh, together. So one, back to literally strategic priority number one for the ITA is telling the stories. So over the next year, we're going to be, and I referenced, uh, we've gotten into the area of video, we're going to be putting together some videos that are going to be short and high-paced, fast-paced for young American uh, juniors to tell the stories of, of college tennis and why they want to play. So you've been somebody who got into parenting aces because you had a child who plays, you're a tennis player yourself, you and I share that passion. A couple of things. One, uh, there are many, many countless spots for American juniors to play college tennis, and the ITA and uh, all interested in college tennis in America need to do a better job telling that story. As we know people's perception becomes reality. The fact is there are bunches of spots available. We have lots of our coaches, I would say the vast majority of our coaches would love to have bunches and bunches of American juniors on their teams. So let me just intersect this a little bit with the idea of American juniors and international players. One of the great strengths of college tennis is its global nature. 
college tennis is global because the sport is global. Uh, tennis and soccer are the two great global sports. We live in a world, back to this idea of university presidents, where almost every college president right now is trying to make the case that their university has a global reach. So where we do have in America some people who uh, make adverse comments about international players, if you understand the mindset of a college president, they're trying to portray whether they are at Arizona State University that's having a global sports institute or whether you're at Central Missouri where our board member Chuck Ambrose talks about the global reach of Central Missouri University, college presidents want to have a global reach. Now, in terms of the issue of, uh, of ratios, I am fond of saying we do not have what some people call an international player problem, which I don't like that phrase at all. We actually have not enough American juniors. In the year 2014, there were only 242 boys and girls, 18-year-old together. That's boys and girls, 242 American juniors who had played 20 tournaments or more in a year. If you do the math on our number of, of, of players in college tennis, there are 20,000 kids playing college tennis. Uh, we don't have enough American you know, juniors. I don't want our entire conversation to turn into international players, but I'm happy to try to do a better job of educating people, and we're going to be trying to do that as we tell the stories with our videos. So one, I can tell you that there are plenty of spots for American juniors. Two, I can tell you that our college coaches would love to have American juniors. I have said, just so everybody knows Tim Russell's position, I have said to our coaches at the convention that the existential threat to college tennis is not enough American juniors. So we need to get Americans on the team. And I've actually told our coaches, I'm not a fan of people who recruit uh, international players that aren't as good as our American players. So this is a very complex and nuanced issue, but the messaging points that we need to do a better job on are, one, there are plenty of spots for American juniors. Two, once somebody gets to college, whether it's our coaches or our players, they all, to your point about the coaches living in community, our players, whether they're American or international, live in community once they're on these uh, teams. So there are plenty of spots out there, and we just need to, one, get the American juniors fired up, and two, we need to connect them with the right uh, schools. But to the health index, back to where our conversation started, if there are a good number of a blend between American juniors, local juniors, international juniors on a team, not only are college presidents and boards of trustees going to like that better, but it's again going to make them indispensable in a particular community. So uh, I agree. That's, my, that's my initial thought. If you want to ask more specific questions, I'm going to be happy to try to answer them, but we have to uh, kind of get, get the word out there. Well, and, and to your point that, you know, you're talking to the coaches, I'm talking to the parents, and, you know, that's my audience. And one of the things that I'm trying to help with is helping parents understand, A, finding the appropriate college for your child based on 
your child's specific skill level and the skill level of the existing team members. That's one thing. And yeah. another thing is, is looking past division. Don't look at division one, division two, division three, and, you know, think one's better than another. It's not that one's better than another. It's that they each have unique things to offer to student athletes. And, exactly. you know, that it's important to, to put division aside and really pay close attention to the particular school where it's located, um, the balance between academics and athletics, um, the particular coach, though we all know coaches change jobs, so you have to be careful there. Um, you have to look at the financial commitment and whether having a tennis scholarship makes as much sense as having an academic scholarship. And, you know, that's a message that, that I've been trying to share just based on my family's experience, you know, if, if the tennis scholarship goes away, you have to be able to afford to stay at the school. And if your child is injured or decides for whatever reason they want to discontinue playing college tennis, that scholarship goes away. And whereas an academic scholarship, if they keep their grades up and do their work in the classroom and out of the classroom, that academic scholarship is there regardless of what they do with their tennis. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, you've got this all, you know, figured out. And you know, <laughs> no, but too little, too reasons, late, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, but it's one of the reasons we appreciate what you're doing and why I said that the ITA has to do a better job. And our audience cannot be just our own coaches. Our audience has to be these parents, which is why in the next phase of my leadership with the ITA, we are going to try to get these messages out. So let me just respond to a couple things you said, which is, you know, spot on, you know, and one of the things the ITA does is we serve all of college tennis. So D1, D2, right. D3, NAIA, junior college. And there is a place for everyone. And, for example, the D3 experience is different. And, you know, as, they, as we know that the D3 doesn't offer, you know, tennis scholarships, but they have incredibly great tennis programs. And one of the things we did with the ITA just to change perception is we changed calling uh, Division three, we stopped calling it our small college championship. I mean, there is nothing small about Emory or Williams. These are the great universities in in America, and the tennis yeah. is of, of a high quality. And a perfect example is Allison Swain just left being the, you know, eight-time national championship coach from Williams to become the women's head coach at USC. I mean, we're talking about great tennis at great institutions across the. Uh, across the board. So when we talk about recruiting, I'm always trying to tell people to find that match. I'm also telling people find the place where you actually not only want to play, but will play. I mean, if you're somebody who loves tennis and want to play, you probably don't want to be sitting number 10 at a school where you're not going to play. And so it's a, it's a, it's a calculus and it's a matrix where you put all the pieces of the puzzle together. I also tell parents, and it's a kind of a sad, I don't want it to seem gruesome, but you should find a place to, to play tennis where if on the first day of practice you actually, you know, had a career-ending injury, where do you want to go to college? Because, again, I'll come back again to the point, college tennis is ultimately about higher education. And I think you and I share a lot of things in common. One of them is our passion for college tennis, but also for our passion for education. So, 
uh, you know, I'm hoping we can all continue to tell these stories, but in, in, the biggest one we have to do is to continue to get American juniors fired up about playing tennis, and not everybody has to do it at USC. That's a great aspirational goal, or at Virginia, or at Florida, or whatever, but you can have a great experience, you know, at, at all of the uh, 1,600 programs at the 1,200 schools that the ITA serves. Well, absolutely, and there are some phenomenal coaches at all levels of the game. And, you know, one example is a school local to me in, in the Atlanta area, Georgia Gwinnett College, which, I mean, they've won I, – I, I've lost count of how many championships Coach Chase Hodges has won on both the men's and women's side. And, you know, this is a school that – probably most people have never heard of. But if you Google them, Google Georgia Gwinnett College tennis program, you're going to be blown away at, at how successful this program is and what the players coming out of that program are doing. I mean, it's just not, unbelievable. Yeah, not only is Chase a superstar, but his players are unbelievable. And I'll give you, again, some of the stuff that's great about college tennis and even the ITA we have a fall national championship, which is the only one in sport where every student athlete from every division, in theory, could win that championship. So there is the small college championship, which is now called the Oracle Cup. There's the D1 championship. And each of the representatives from each of those divisions will end up being invited out to Indian Wells uh, to play in our uh, Oracle ITA national fall championship and uh, the guys from georgia gwinnett and the gals from georgia gwinnett last year were in new york for this championship they are competing against the top of d1 uh, and they're also just lovely people that's a perfect example right and and i mean as as you understand and i understand and and anybody that follows tennis closely i'm sure understands the margins between the very top of the game and the number 50 or 100 uh, ranked player in the game are so small um, so that, you know, a, a player from a smaller program is competitive with the players at some of these top programs. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Whether it's college or pro tennis, I mean, somebody who is, you know, 500 in the world on a given day could beat somebody who's 200 in the world. And in college tennis, the same thing happens. We have a, a board member, uh, Harold Edwards, whose son plays at Clemson, and uh, he and his doubles partner, you know, upset the number one doubles team in the country this year. I mean, the level of play is so strong, uh, top top to bottom, whether it's college tennis or, or pro tennis. You're, you're, you're exactly correct. Well, Tim, one other uh, kind of aspect I want to touch on because it is something that I've done a lot of talking about over the past several months is the seemingly widening gap between the haves and the have-nots in college tennis where we have programs like USC, like University of Georgia that have, you know, these phenomenal facilities, they have play site enabled courts um they live stream every match and then you know you have other programs at every division that don't even have an electronic scoreboard on campus and to me that's 
a really tough situation because it puts those you know, the programs that are struggling to keep up, it puts them at a big disadvantage when it comes to recruiting because, of course, you know, a high school player going to do their college visits, they want to see all the bells and the whistles when they go visit these campuses because what they're seeing on TV, you know, at the national championships is all of the pretty things that go along with college tennis, and they want their school to have those things. So I'm curious how the ITA is helping to address that and maybe helping to guide some of these schools in terms of fundraising. And you mentioned before um, establishing funds, um, endowments, so that they do have the, the resources available to provide all these bells and whistles. Well, you, you have put your finger on not only a major issue for college tennis, but for college athletics, the whole issue of whether it's called the Power Five conferences or the Autonomous Five, you know, we have lived in a world of the nuclear arms race of football and basketball, and you can argue these on both sides. You know, the president of the University of Alabama can tell you why paying Nick Saban 7 or $10 million is a great investment because it yields $100 million to Alabama and lots, of, and lots of new applicants. But on the flip side, if all the money keeps going to football and basketball, it's not just tennis. So the one thing I want to say is it's a lot of sports, whether it's swimming, wrestling, etc. So this is, I, I think, using the phrase existential again, this is something that the highest levels of, of, of not only college athletics but, but uh, academics, college presidents are, are talking about this on a regular basis because, in my opinion, it just can't keep going on, you know, uh, for, forever. And you've just very articulately, you know, stated the case for the challenges uh, in tennis, I mean, we might have 25 of the programs you just articulated that not only have great facilities, uh, but have play-site-enabled courts and, and, and the like. So the question of what we do is one of the things that the ITA is dealing with, and, and you referenced it in the health index. I mean, ideally, if every program could endow itself, then it's not going to to go away, but that's easier said than done. I mean, even at a place like ASU where we're they are working hard to endow their tennis programs right now. Sheila McInerney at a great school will tell you how difficult it was for her to raise enough money to get all the electronic scoreboards to use another of your, you know, another of your illustrations. So to your specific question, which is what can the ITA do, part of what I'm hoping that I can start to do in the third year as the CEO of the ITA is to start being more of a thought leader in the world of college sports where I start writing some think pieces, you know, whether it's in the Chronicle of Higher Education or in the new e-newsletters that we're sending to conference commissioners and ADs and, and presidents, because there has to be some point of, of perspective. Uh, the University of Idaho president made a decision to actually leave the BCS to go to the uh, college bowl uh, series, uh, and there are some presidents who are going, we just can no longer compete even at football. And again, I'll go back to ASU, which is a school that we are associated with, with the ITA. So they are trying to compete with their football team with, you know, Alabama. And they will tell you that they're competing for the same national championship, and it's tricky. 
and even some of our big schools and Power Five conferences, I believe it's not even just being in or out of the Power Five. I think if you're at the bottom of a Power Five conference, you're going to have challenges to be at a tennis program at, you know, Washington State as opposed to, uh, you know, USC or Oregon. Uh, it's going to be tr- tricky business. And for us to navigate it, the more specific things that the ITA is trying to do is not only make college tennis relevant by way of on-campus and communities, but we're trying to make our tennis championships exciting. We're trying to make the student-athlete experience uh, exciting, but you have put your finger on a calculus that we haven't figured out yet, but we're, we're going to have to because I could or I could make a case, and this could be a whole other podcast, and my D1 coaches might not like to hear what I'm going to say, but I could make a, a case that D3 tennis is probably secure forever, but D1 tennis could actually become uh, threatened as a whole, and I'm not talking about just the schools that don't have money, because at some point in time, America will have another uh, recession, and finances will get bad again, and if the football-basketball equation has gotten so big and people then have to rebalance their budget, there's only certain sports that can disappear. So I think that this is an issue we all have to deal with, and the ITA is going to have to take strong leadership in this regard. Well, I, I'm glad that y'all are kind of thinking along those lines, too, because it, it really, it, you know, not only is it sad to think that the programs may not be able to afford to stay around, but it's also sad to think of them having to work so hard just to, you know, exist season to season and, you know, scrimping by – I don't know, cutting things like the way they travel or even being able to travel to compete against other schools. I mean, these some of these schools, their their tennis budget is incredibly tight. And, you know, I think we as a community tend to only see the big successful programs and we forget that not everybody is in that same financial boat. You're, you're, you're exactly right. I'll give you a, a very visible example because it's not like I'm telling something out of school because people should have just read about this. University of California at Berkeley, one of the truly great institutions on the planet, one of the great institutions of higher learning and one of the great tennis conferences in the, uh, in the Pac-12 that has had you know, great success on the men's and women's side. The University of California Athletic Department is you know, basically in dire straits. So if I talk to people like Peter Wright and Amanda Augustus, two of our greatest coaches, you know, they don't have a lot of extra funds, and they're at the top of our tennis program. So think about the ones outside the Power uh, Five. Forget about even the top of the Power Five. Tennis within the Power Five is still challenged. Right, and it, it impacts things like recruiting American players because, again, you know, when with international players, at least the ones I've spoken with, and, and you have way more contact than I do, Tim, but the kids that I've spoken with that have come from other countries to play college tennis in the U.S., they don't come and take college visits when they're in high school. They don't, you know, they don't do research on all the different schools and where they're located and the conference they're in and all that they just want to come play. And so 
you know, for a lot of them, they show up the week before school starts. They go through orientation. It's the first time they've visited the campus. It's the first time they've met the coach in person. It's the first time they've met any of their teammates. So recruiting them from that perspective is a lot easier than convincing the American kids who do have the opportunity to do these college visits um, it, you know, if, if they come visit your campus and you have either no locker room or just a, you know, a little cruddy locker room that you're sharing with three other teams, um, you don't have a scoreboard, your courts are not in good repair, it's very difficult to sell those kids on your program. You and I might want to do another follow-up just on kind of recruiting from both perspectives from the uh, – the American juniors and the college, because it could be a, a fun extended conversation. I would love that. Let's do it. Yeah. So where are we now? Let's let's wrap this thing up because we're coming to the end of our hour, and I know you're a busy guy. Oh, <laughs> this is actually probably the most important thing I do. I mean, if we talk about the mission of the ITA, and it is the, telling the stories by way of a of an initiative, but if our vision is to ensure and preserve college tennis going forward. Having these conversations with people like you and having lots of people listen to it is the most important thing I do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm busy, but uh, I'm just thrilled to be here and uh, honored that you invited me and, and so grateful for, for all you do. So in terms of a summary, I think I, I can say a few things. One is that while we might have focused a little bit on, you know, potential challenges, and I think that's wise, I can tell you that I think college tennis is strong. I can tell you that I think we're making good headway on raising the visibility with some of the initiatives that I have articulated. I can tell you that our colleagues, uh, our allied partners at the USTA are working hard in the area of college uh, tennis as well. Uh, I can tell you that while there is still a lot of work to do, that I think the momentum uh, is building. Uh, the kind of things that I would encourage by way of specific asks is anybody who's listening uh, to make sure that they go out and are actually supporting their local college tennis teams. One of the things, Lisa, that always baffled me, and I had two uh, kids that played junior tennis, and I have a son who not only played college tennis but now works in player development for the USDA. I am always baffled by kids who say they want to play college tennis but then don't go out and watch college tennis matches. So if we want to leave today with a couple of, you know, wrap-ups, one, I'll tell you that I think college tennis is strong. Two, I can tell you that the staff of the ITA is coming to work passionately every day to work on behalf of college tennis. Three, I can tell you we can use as many supporters as we can. So, you know, there's a great bumper sticker we've all seen that says something like think globally and act locally. I would encourage everybody to regularly support your local college tennis uh, uh, teams. And, and finally, I'd say that anybody who has great ideas about things like telling the stories of college tennis or raising the profile or improving the student-athlete experience or whatever, anybody with a good idea should reach out and, you know, send me an email. Uh, they should stay in touch with people like Lisa Stone at Parenting Aces. We just need to build the pool of passionate uh, 
you know, tennis aficionados, but I think it's a great cause. It's a great sport, and I look forward to uh, continuing to work on behalf of college tennis. And, Lisa, I look forward to continuing these conversations with you. Well, ditto, Tim, and thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. And um, I, I love talking with you. I always learn new things, and I look forward to the next time we get to have an in-person conversation and and share a hug on top of it. So um, we will definitely schedule an, another podcast on the recruiting side of things. And uh, in the meantime, let's all keep doing our little part to Preserve and grow college tennis. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Parenting Aces podcast. Thanks again for joining us. And just a reminder that registration is still open for the Saul Schwartz Safe College Tennis All-In Tournament in Baltimore coming up August 12th and 13th. You can see the show notes for the link to the registration page. And I certainly hope to see everybody out there supporting these kids and supporting our goal of providing grants to college tennis programs at risk of being cut. In light of today's discussion with Tim Russell, I think it is pretty clear that we have a lot of work to do in order to preserve and grow college tennis in this country. And one of the ways we can do that is to ensure the financial viability of the programs because tennis as we discussed in the podcast is a non-revenue sport and so anything we can do to help these programs gain visibility, to fundraise, to really just get their names out there and get the players out there will benefit all of us in the long run. So take a look and please sign up, sign your junior up to play in the tournament. And if you don't have a junior or if the tournament doesn't work for you and you'd still like to make a donation to our grant fund, you can do that via Venmo. And it's just my email address. Uh, The Venmo account is connected to It's Lisa at ParentingAces.com. And that goes into a separate bank account that is designated for the Saul Schwartz Save College Tennis All-In Tournament. So uh, we appreciate anything you can do to help. Have a great week, everybody. And one little reminder that if you like what you heard this week, be sure to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It, it helps. So we appreciate you. And please feel free to share this and all of our episodes with your tennis community. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at parentingaces.com. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, tennisballs.com.